Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics, the Speaker resigns. This House is above any of us. Therefore, I must step down as your Speaker. After pressure from opposition MPs and government ministers, Antony Rota steps down, paying the price for a Ukrainian veteran who fought for the Nazis and was invited to the House by the Speaker. Coming up, we'll get reaction from the political parties and... You need to know everybody who's in that room. The invitation and subsequent standing ovation has harmed Canada's reputation and puts into question the issue of security checks. So where does the controversy go from here? This is Primetime Politics. Hello everyone, I'm Michael Serapio. The question of Anthony Rota's immediate future was put to rest this afternoon as the Speaker of the House of Commons resigned at the start of today's question period. The work of this House is above any of us. Therefore, I must step down as your Speaker. I reiterate my profound regret for my error in recognizing an individual in the House during the joint address to Parliament of President Zelensky. That public recognition has caused pain to individuals and communities, including the Jewish community in Canada and around the world, in addition to survivors of Nazi atrocities in Poland, among other nations. I accept full responsibility for my actions. Now, the decision to step down comes after the controversy of Yuroslav Hunka, a Ukrainian war veteran who attended last week's speech to Parliament from the Ukrainian president. It was Rota who invited Hunka to the House, only to find out after that Hunka fought for the Nazis in the Second World War, an oversight that has embarrassed Canada around the world. After being largely silent yesterday, Liberal ministers were more forthright today about Rota's future. Look, I think given what happened on Friday, given the fact that Mr. Rhoda decided to invite an individual who fought with the Waffen SS and not only invite him to the address of the President of Ukraine, but recognize him in the gallery without informing either the government or the Ukrainian delegation or any parliamentarian that he was going to do this, I can't see, based on the conversations that I've had, that he will continue to have the support of Liberal members of Parliament, and I think it's time for him to do the opposite. What happened on Friday is completely unacceptable. It was an embarrassment to the House and to Canadians, and I think the Speaker should listen to members of the House and step down. Well, that was earlier this morning, and by midday, Anthony Rota met with various House leaders, and then, just before 2 p.m. Eastern Time, he delivered his resignation. With more, we're now joined by Kevin Lamoureux, Parliamentary Secretary to the Government House Leader, Conservative House Leader Andrew Scheer, and NDP House Leader Peter Julian. Hello to the three of you. Hi there. Hi, good to be with you. Uh, Mr. Scheer, I'm going to ask you to start us out here because Antony Rota obviously has resigned and it does follow that meeting with leadership uh, around the noon hour. I was wondering if you might share what you had to say with Mr. Rota at that time. 
Uh, well, you know, it was pretty straightforward. Uh, by the time of the meeting, uh, all four uh, party leaders had indicated w what they thought should happen. Uh, we wanted to, uh, to to have the opportunity to, to you know to sit directly with the speaker uh, and share that. It's a tough day for Parliament and parliamentarians. It's been a difficult few days. Uh, we also, you know, still have questions about how what happened was allowed to happen and uh, you know on, on a on one level I, it looks like uh, Justin Trudeau is happy to let Speaker Rota take all the blame for this but we know that there are several organizations from the RCMP to our Foreign Service and our intelligence communities who would have seen the list of invitees and nobody raised an alarm bell, nobody, uh, either either proper vetting wasn't done or it was done and nobody bothered to tell anybody. So uh, the fact that this happened is not just solely on Speaker Rota, uh, it's also on the government for allowing that individual to be recognized and uh, it, despite having his name on a list well in advance of the event. So uh, we're going to keep asking these questions. Unfortunately, Justin Trudeau wasn't in the house today. He was in town, but so afraid of these questions that he uh, hid under a rock and didn't show up. And that's also very disappointing because this this incident is an international affair. This is, I, I can't think of a bigger embarrassment on Canada's uh, reputation. It's happened under Justin Trudeau's watch. It's happened because of something that his government did have control over. And he needs to show up and take his share of the responsibility, and he hasn't done that. Uh, Mr. Lamro, I'll, I'll get you to respond to that, please. Sure. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Michael, I do believe that uh, Anthony Arona made the right decision. I think we have to put it in a, in a perspective of sticking with the facts. Uh, at the end of the day, a lot of people were hurt by this. Uh, it touched the, the lives of uh, people in our Jewish community, Canadians as a whole, uh, parliamentarians. Uh, absolutely no one, no one knew uh, that this particular individual was in the speaker's gallery. The speaker uh, invited the individual to come to the gallery. The speaker then acknowledged the individual. And it wasn't only until well after the fact that it was established. This is why the speaker actually resigned and made the decision that he did, which I think was the right decision. And I think if we stick to the facts and keep politics, the partisan politics, out of it, um, that it's in all of our best interests. It was an embarrassing time uh, for the House of Commons. Okay, I'll jump in there though because you yeah. know I, I appreciate what you're saying that nobody knew but should someone have known because I think at the heart of it that's what conservatives are asking. Why didn't someone already know? Should someone have known beforehand? I have always had an immense amount of respect uh, for the, the speaker and the independence of the speakers, the speaker uh, galleries. Um, uh, in the past, uh, the speaker will acknowledge people that are in the gallery, and by that very acknowledgement, members will often stand up and applaud unanimously because there's a great deal of faith in terms of what the speaker and the resources the speaker has, and that the speaker has done due diligence in terms of the people that he introduces to the entire uh, chamber. There's that confidence that's there. And I think that that confidence was broken. And a lot of people were hurt as a direct result. And that's why I believe what uh, uh, Mr. Rhoda decided today in terms of resigning was the right thing to do. Uh, Mr. Mr. Julian, what's your take? Is Anthony Rhoda taking too much of the blame here? Uh, we, the NDP was the first to call for his resignation. And I did that with a heavy heart. Uh, you saw that in the House yesterday. It was not a 
an easy statement to make, but we felt very strongly that the, the size and scope of the appallingly bad judgment that was shown on Friday, the hurt that was caused across the country, uh, the stain on Canada's reputation around the world, uh, meant that Mr. Rhoda had, had to resign from the position. And, and uh, despite the fact that I, I believe he's been a good speaker, he led us through COVID, he uh, put in place the hybrid parliament, he uh, was there when the, there was a convoy takeover of downtown Ottawa and steered us through those uh, troubled waters as well. And so I, I think he did a good job, but the mistake was far too egregious for him to continue on there. And, and I believe him stepping down is a, a first step of what needs to be taken, the many steps that need to be taken to, to, uh, for reconciliation on this. Uh, with what the Jewish steps? What other steps well, need to be I, taken, I do believe though? the Prime Minister needs to acknowledge and apologize on behalf of all Canadians for what happened last Friday. I believe that we need to have uh, committees of the House looking in and finding out every aspect of how those decisions were made. We need to have uh, su suggestions, recommendations on how to put into place protocols so that this never happens again. This, this is something that has hurt all Canadians and we need to make sure as parliamentarians we need to all work together to ensure it never happens again. Now Mr. Rota will cease to be speaker by tomorrow night. Uh, will there be a vote for a new speaker on Thursday or will, that, uh, will the House have to suspend business for, for a time in order to allow that to happen? I, I'm wondering about the conversations you're having there Mr. Scheer. Well, first, if I can just say, you know, uh, Mr. Lambert talked about sticking to the facts, and it is just a simple fact that no matter who does the invitations, whether it's the Speaker or individual members of Parliament, eventually those lists make their way to security officials who are, we thought, were then tasked with vetting and doing background checks. So, so that is a fact. Um, in terms of what happens next, uh, I can say that we're, we're having good discussions. Um, one thing I appreciate about, uh, about you know, kind of the... the, the the way today has unfolded is that uh, there is uh, goodwill to make sure that the, the, the week continues smoothly. We are here to do the people's work. We know Canadians are suffering through a terrible affordability crisis because of inflationary deficits driving up costs and leading to higher interest rates. We know Canadians want to see action on that. We know uh, crime. Uh, after the last eight years of this government has exploded all over our city. So it's clear that Canadians want us to do the work that they sent us here to do. And I'm sensing a willingness from my counterparts to find the best way to do that while respecting the institution of the Speaker and the need for the House to continue doing its work as well. So those um, I expect those talks to uh, to continue with, with that goal in mind that uh, all four House leaders uh, certainly are, are working towards. So Mr. Julian, will it be the Deputy Speaker that takes on duties then? Uh, uh, indefinitely? Uh, well, no, I mean, as of now, we have uh, the Speaker resigning as of tomorrow night, and uh, the, the Deputy Speakers uh, uh, would, would be taking on that workload until then. Uh, as what Mr. Shear referenced, and he's absolutely right, we, we do, the House leaders work very cooperatively together, and uh, we're looking through uh, the best way of ensuring we have a smooth electoral process, enough time as well for the various uh, paperwork uh, to be handled, for example, all 338 of us are candidates as of right now. And until you send in a letter saying you don't want to be a candidate, you're a candidate on the ballot. These kinds of things uh, take a little bit of time to work through. And so we're, we're finding the best uh, mix to ensure uh, that, that the, it happens smoothly, that it's uh, not untoward in terms of too, too rapid um, 
uh, deadlines. Uh, the other element to consider is that for the election of a speaker, you have to be here in person. And so MPs will have to fly in from some of the uh, events that they're uh, a part of as part of the, the Truth and Reconciliation Day this, this uh, weekend to ensure that they, uh, they can participate locally and, and then come for the speaker's election. So we're working through all of that. We may work late tonight. But there's goodwill on all sides, as Mr. Scheer said. Okay, goodwill. Mr. Lemro, do you think the House will have to suspend business for a time? I think the desire uh, from all parties in the House is that uh, we continue to sit, and as has been pointed out, uh, you know, date, debate important uh, legislation. I just left the, the chamber just minutes ago where we're talking about issues such as uh, in inflation. Uh, housing um, and uh, you know the the crisis or the situation where we're trying to uh, support the Canadians. So there's a lot that's there for us to be uh, doing uh, in terms of the house business, um, and the will seems to be there to continue um, and as much as possible f make sure that we follow the proper process uh, in terms of getting a, a new speaker in in place and uh, providing those uh, uh, individuals that might be entertaining the thought. Of of, uh, running uh, for speaker, the opportunity to, to make uh, their cases with the idea of using the preferential ballot, hopefully sometime uh, in, the, in the next week. In the next week, but does, again, does that mean that there will be a suspension? I, I open that up to the three of you because I think that's a question many people have, whether or not the House will have to suspend uh, proceedings until a, a vote can be arranged. Yeah, there are you know, discussions that are taking place in, in good faith and uh, in time we'll find out exactly how that's going to work. In other words, stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> how, how dare you quote me to me, Peter Julian? <laughs> but we are staying tuned and we're watching. So uh, thank you for that, Mr. Lamru, Mr. Sherritt, Mr. Julian. Have a good evening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
This is not the first time in Canadian history that a Speaker of the House of Commons resigned. Speaker George Black resigned in 1935 during a prorogation for health reasons. Speaker Louis-René Baudouin offered his resignation during the famous pipeline debate in 1956. The House was in turmoil over a bill to authorize and fund a pipeline due to the involvement of an American company. The government tried invoking closure several times to push the bill through. At one point, a ruling by Baudouin had opposition MPs storming the chair, and for the first time in Canadian history, a motion of censure was moved against the Speaker. Baudouin later offered to resign over a letter to a newspaper he wrote criticizing opposition members, but Prime Minister Louis Saint Laurent convinced him to remain as Speaker until the end of the session. In 1899, Speaker Thomas Bain succeeded Speaker James David Edgar, the only Speaker to have died while in office. Bain presided over the House for the remainder of the 8th Parliament until 1901. And in 1984, Canada's first and only female Speaker, Jeanne Sauvé, resigned to become Governor-General. Speaker Lloyd Francis was elected to replace Sauvé. In 1985, the House adopted a new procedure to elect a Speaker by secret ballot. Speaker John Bosley resigned in 1986 to allow for future Speakers to be elected through the new system. The House elected John Fraser as the new Speaker. Well, we're now joined by the Minister for Housing, Infrastructure and Communities, Sean Fraser. Minister, thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me. Listen, I want to begin with your reaction uh, to Mr. Rhoda's resignation. Uh, what was your feeling at the announcement today? Um, look, I, I have uh, respect for uh, Mr. Rhoda. We've worked together now as parliamentarians for the past eight years. Uh, I think he did the right thing by uh, offering his resignation after the events of last Friday. If the House is going to focus on the work we're doing to improve the quality of life that Canadians enjoy, uh, it's important that parliamentarians have confidence uh, in the Speaker who presides over our debates. Uh, given the uh, severity of uh, uh, the transgression, as uh, innocent as it may have uh, been from his intent, uh, I think it's essential that we're able to move forward with a, a fresh start uh, where the focus can remain on Canadians where it squarely belongs. Now, his resignation is, is one matter, but it's also been said that Canada now needs to apologize and really repair its international relationships because of this episode. What do you think your government will do to address that, if anything at all? Uh, well, I think uh, what's most important is uh, to remind ourselves that we'll be judged uh, by our actions. And when it comes to uh, our support for Ukraine, uh, my expectation is that partners on the international stage will look at the uh, body of work that we've advanced to support Ukraine in its defense against this unjust war of aggression, whether that's military support, whether it's financial aid, whether it's opening our doors to vulnerable Ukrainians who are now safe in Canada. Uh, it's clear where we stand on the issue. Uh, I do think we need to uh, continue to engage and demonstrate that we stand alongside the community of uh, Jewish Canadians in particular and Jewish people globally uh, for whom the memories of the Holocaust are, are not some distant uh, event in our history book but uh, a defining moment uh, that the world needs to continue to remember and stand alongside them for. Uh, we will of course uh, continue to uh, be steadfast in our support uh, for the Jewish people and also for Ukraine and my expectation
expectation is uh, that we will, uh, over time, continue to demonstrate a level of commitment uh, that will uh, certainly eradicate any question uh, of where we stand uh, when it comes to supporting either community. Now, you also took part in a housing announcement today, along with your uh, cabinet colleagues, the finance and industry ministers, as well as the Treasury Board President. Uh, and really, the gist of that was an additional $20 billion being allocated for Canada mortgage bonds. How does that help get more rental units into the marketplace? How does that help the, the, the housing strategy that you're trying to bring about right now? Uh, this is really important and one of the things that we need to address if we're going to solve Canada's national housing crisis is the financial equation that builders are looking at when they're making a decision to go ahead with a project or to leave it on the shelf. And there's a major opportunity right now because there are hundreds of thousands of units across the country that have already been approved and the only limiting factor is the financial equation that builders are analyzing. We've seen increased costs for supplies and materials, for labor, uh, for interest rates for land. Um, when I talk to developers, they say we need to change that equation so we can justify going ahead. We started with the GST removal on purpose-built rentals, which is going to bring down the cost of building, uh, but we've realized that as we advance that new measure and the demand has increased for builders who want to build, they need access to financing. By increasing the value that we put behind the Canada Mortgage Bond Program, we can actually reduce the risk for lenders who will make more uh, financing available at a lower rate than builders can currently get on the market. When builders have access to a lower rate, they're going to greenlight those projects that have been sitting on the shelf as a result of those increased costs. There is no one silver bullet, but if we continue to advance measures that help change that equation for builders, we should expect them to choose to build more homes as a result. Oh, okay, so helping out builders create more housing units, but as you know, the criticism has been that there's not enough measures to ensure that what is actually built is affordable. Should affordability stipulations be a part of this funding? So there are many measures that we have put in place and will continue to put in place to ensure that Canada is building more affordable housing. We can and we must do that. It would have been a mistake if we attached those kinds of conditions to the GST removal on apartment construction, for example. That's really for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, adding supply to the economy is going to help address the supply problem, which will over time help uh, mitigate uh, against cost increases and eventually help bring costs to a stable level, potentially bring them down, particularly in the rental market. But if you actually talk to anybody in the housing sector who's been engaged in building projects that are sustainable, that are inclusive, and that actually work for people by not segregating off uh, low-income people to a part of town where everything's cheap, far from services, but instead building homes for them in the same communities and in the same buildings that middle-class families have access to. If you want to change the equation to build the kinds of buildings that will solve Canada's housing crisis, we need to change that equation for the buildings that provide homes for middle-class Canadians and low-income Canadians. I visited a project to begin my today, day today that had 30% of the units designated for uh, uh, affordable units. Uh, this is going to allow people regardless of their level of income, to have access to the transit system, regardless of the level of their income, have access to health care services, and regardless of the level of income, have access to downtown Ottawa. Uh, these are the kinds of projects that we want to support, and when you talk to people who are involved in the modern home building sector, they'll tell you, and frankly for advocates for sustainable communities or vulnerable populations, they don't want to segregate people in low-income housing on the other side of town. They want to integrate everyone into the community, regardless of their level of income. Okay, I've got less than a minute, but I do have 
have to ask because we did hear from uh, NDP MP uh, Jenny Kwan yesterday. She was pushing your government. She called on you to to create a fund that would allow nonprofits to buy low cost housing and not lose them to developers. Are you thinking of bringing about that kind of fund? Uh, we're thinking about a few different measures to tackle that problem. The loss of organic affordable housing that does exist within the market is a real threat to our ability to protect the ecosystem to make sure that everyone, including low-income Canadians, have a place to call home uh, in, in cities and communities where services exist. Uh, there's a number of different solutions that we're examining now to figure out how we can pr uh, prevent the loss of those affordable units that do exist today, uh, but we haven't come to a final decision on the exact measure, uh, but that's something that we're actively considering. Sooner than later? Uh, everything will be released as soon as it's ready. I don't want to hold off for some special day. There is no time to waste. The housing crisis is real. It is here now, and we need to move quickly to address it. Sean Fraser, thank you for the time today. A pleasure as always. Thank you so much. And that is primetime politics for this Tuesday. I'm Michael Serapio. For everyone here at CPAC, thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow. But stay tuned. Esther Béjean avec L'Essentiel is up next.